Welcome to the My Canine Coach Podcast, a show that coaches dog owners on how to achieve their ideal lifestyle with and for their dogs. You'll hear from canine coach Dana as she breaks down actionable dog training protocols, explores current dog training trends, and shares insights from her own experiences owning and working with dogs. Now, here's your host, canine coach Dana. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the My Canine Coach podcast. As always, I am your host, canine coach Dana, and I'm joined by my silent co-host, my bohemian shepherd dog, Loki. So as a dog trainer, I'm a person who works in the service industry. And because of that, I encounter a variety of people and personalities all the time. Different clients have different personalities and we do things differently or we talk about things differently so that I can make sure that how I'm saying something or the way I'm showing them is going to make sense to them. So as a person in the service industry, I encounter a lot of people. And even though my title is technically dog trainer, air quotes, doing those with my fingers, which you can't see me because this is a podcast, even though that's my official title, I'm more so a people trainer rather than a dog trainer. And let me kind of explain what I mean by that and where I'm going with this. The reason why I'm saying that I'm more so a people trainer than a dog trainer is for really like two reasons. One, the service that I provide puts me more in the camp of being a people trainer. So as a person who trains dogs, I can get the dog to become what the client wants it to be, but when all that work is done and the dog lives out the rest of its life with that owner, it's really up to that owner to continue the training and adjust the way that they interact and overall live with that dog in order to maintain the results that we achieved because I'm just not there anymore, so it's on them. I'm not there to ensure that the dog sticks to what we trained it to do or how we trained it to behave only the owner is. And so it becomes vital that I make sure that the owner knows everything that they need to and has the skills to maintain what we built while we were working together. So therein, I have to become a people trainer. Yes, I'm going to train the dog, but ultimately it ends up being on the person to make sure that that training sticks and gets carried out throughout the rest of that dog's life. So I have to make sure I'm also training the person that I'm working with. And the second reason why I'm saying I'm more so a person trainer is because of the way that I operate. I work one-on-one with my clients in their home and usually it goes something to the effect of this where I come into your home, I assess the situation, then I devise a plan that I talk through with you so that you not only understand the steps but you also understand why we're doing what we're doing Um, This is just because I think it's really important that you understand completely the reasons behind what we're doing. Then I'll show you by working your dog myself and then also teaching or coaching the dog a little bit so that the dog is already on its way to learning what we're training before I then hand the dog over to you and then I coach you on how to do what I just did. At the end of the lesson, though, I leave and then you have homework to complete until our next lesson. So really, you or my client becomes the primary trainer. I take the role of, let's say, the master coach 
to offer guidance and critiques where needed, but my clients are the ones who are working their own dogs. So really, the bulk of my job is knowing how to train the people that I work with, how to teach them to do what I can do with their own dog. So this is what I mean when I say I'm mainly a people trainer. I have the skill set and the expertise to train dogs. I could take dogs and train them and hand them back, of course. But the way I operate puts me into this unique position where even though I have all the skill set to train the dog to do what we needed to do, that's not what's going to help the owner get the results that they need. I need to be able to coach and teach the owner to have the skill set or be able to do the things that I know that I can do. So this is where I've been noodling this idea of me being more so a people trainer than I am a dog trainer. And as I've been thinking that through, I've been thinking back to all the clients that I've worked with. And I've begun to notice that there are some similarities among my top performers or the clients that have gotten the most out of our training lessons and have gotten the best results with their dog these clients have certain qualities about them that have garnered them these great results or have garnered them the most or the best success through our partnership working together. So I wanted to share what those attributes are with you so that if you work with a trainer or are already working with a trainer, or maybe you're trying to teach yourself some dog training things, you can self-analyze and adjust to maximize your results or get the most out of your training. So I made a list of five attributes that most of my top clients have. Starting with number one, they're committed to the work. And this is kind of like a three-part trait. Part one is that either they find the time or more so more often they make the time to do the training. They're comfortable setting boundaries with family or friends to ensure that their training time each day isn't interrupted or isn't getting derailed or they're not being distracted or their dog's not being distracted and they do the work. They make sure that they have the time to do the work. These are the clients that don't often um, ask to reschedule lessons and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I know things that come up in your life require that, hey, you got to reschedule a lesson. Believe me, I've had all kinds of stuff happen in my life too, where I've been like, okay, I can't make that thing that I meant to make. Um, that's not what I mean. But the way that these clients are arranging their priorities, dog training is at the top of that list or near the top of that list. So there's not a lot of things that are going to supersede that. They're going to make sure that they're going to be setting that time up during their day to get that training done or to make it to that lesson or keep that lesson on their schedule. And the reason why this works so well or the reason why this is giving them really great results is, as you know, how I operate is my clients are responsible for progressing the training between sessions. So how quickly we reach success is based on their level of commitment to make progress happen. Progress isn't going to just happen on its own. You have to make it happen. And these top clients or clients that are getting the most out of our training, they put in the time. Now, part two of this committed to work trait is that most of the time, the weather doesn't deter them either. So I am in New York State, so we get every type of weather out here. We get rain, snow, heat, and these clients are out there working their dog 
regardless of the weather or they're paying attention to the weather and they're noting, okay, it's going to rain for this chunk of time during the day. I need to either do my training earlier in the day or I need to do it after that time during the day. And then that final part three of this is they're also willing to go where we need to go. And what I mean by that is sometimes we need to work in specific locations like Home Depot or the park in order to achieve their goals. And they're willing to not only meet me there for our private lessons, but they're also willing to visit these places on their own to work on their training. And I have to commend some of my clients for doing this because some of them live very remotely and they're willing to drive 45 minutes or an hour to help their dog. And that's just amazing. Beyond that, I also have clients who are willing to keep the training going and attend my monthly group classes on the weekends so that they're keeping their training fresh and maintained. They're invested in continuing their dog's training after our formal training has ended. And that's the dedication that gets them the results that they're aiming for. So the first attribute is committed to the work and it's for all of those reasons. Second attribute is they're really in it for their dog. Now, these clients that I'm talking about call me because they want their dog to get results more so than themselves. They see it as their responsibility to provide for their dog. And I would even go as far to say as they feel guilty either for how their dog behaves now or they feel guilty when they skip a training day. They recognize that their dog can only get better with their help and they realize that it's up to them to help their dog as best as they can. And I can usually tell that in the way they explain to me why they're seeking out a trainer. So these top performing clients will typically explain why they're reaching out to me in a way that sounds something like this. My dog is struggling with a problem and I want to help her get over that. Or they'll say, I know it's important for my dog to have a good training foundation, so I want help from an expert on how to give that to him. All right, so now compare that to conversations that go like this. My dog is causing me a problem and I want it solved. Or I want my dog to get trained because I want my dog to listen to me. Right, so you can hear the difference between those two conversations. One side of it is for the betterment of the dog and the other is for the betterment of the owner. Now, I don't want to shame anyone for reaching out to a trainer regardless of their reasons. The fact that they're seeking expert help, I want to and I do really commend that. I'm only just sharing that it's the owners I work with who seem to be driven more so, and it doesn't have to be entirely, but they're mainly driven to help their dog. These are the clients who I've noticed continually get the best results. And then they do end up helping themselves because they reap the benefits in having a well-trained dog. So it is about them too, but they just have this mindset where it's about the dog first and them second. So that's trait number two. They're in it for their dog. Trait number three, they yearn to learn. They want to take the leash and try it out. They ask me a lot of questions to make sure that they're doing everything right. And usually they want more than I'm giving them in that lesson. 
Now I say that, but most of the time it's my job to pace my clients so that they can be successful. I have to set realistic goals that they can achieve while working full time and taking care of their family and still having a social life on the weekends. And more importantly, I must hold back information until they're ready for it. Otherwise, it will be either too much and they'll miss a few key points or they'll skip ahead before the dog is ready and then end up delaying progress. So sometimes I have to really be a gatekeeper, but I find that owners who press me for more are the ones that generally get the most out of training because they're eager and they're driven to get to the next step. So they put in the work to unlock the next piece of the puzzle per se. They really never seem to be satisfied fully. It's like once they achieve something, that opens up their eyes to the potential of more and they want to get there. They want more. They want to reach the next level. And this makes them excited for training and keeps them motivated throughout the process because training isn't a one lesson and we're all done. Dog training is never like that. It's rarely like that, actually. I would say on average... I work with my clients for a month or more, and it's the clients that yearn to learn, that stay highly motivated during the time that we work together, that gets them the amazing results because they just never lose that motivation. So the ones that are really pushing to take that leash and try it out and ask me questions to make sure that they're doing everything properly and continue to press me for more, even though I'm trying to be a gatekeeper. Uh, those are the ones that, again, are getting these great results. They yearn to learn. They yearn to try it and to get to that next level. Just don't be frustrated with me when I have to tell you, okay, we're, I'm, I'm actually holding back information so that we don't get led astray or so that you can focus on achieving this task first. All right? So just don't get mad at me when that happens. Our fourth trait is that these clients accept criticism well. So I said earlier that it is my job to give critiques where needed to make sure that training is being effective. My top performing clients take criticism into stride. They welcome it, actually, and are thankful. Um, they, well, they don't say thank you, but <laughs> uh, they are thankful to hear me point something out that they're doing wrong so that they can correct themselves and do the training right. The reason most people hire a dog trainer is because they have a gap somewhere in their knowledge or their skill or both on how to train their dog to do what they want or to mold their dog to behave the way that they want it. So it's expected that they're not going to know how to do things when I show them for the first time. It's not likely that they're going to get it right the first time that they do it because it takes practice to get good at anything new. So criticism is really part of the learning and the training process. And if you're open to getting feedback, and these top performing clients are, they're grateful for getting feedback, then you're really going to get great results. So you have to be open to that criticism in order to get those results because we're all just learning here. We aren't perfect. It's something that I have to remind myself all the time because I am a huge self-critic person. I really criticize what I do and it really 
bothers me or makes me feel embarrassed when I don't get something right away or I can't perform something perfectly after one or two tries, especially when it's in front of other people. So I have to coach myself and remind myself that I'm not expected to do that perfectly because I am doing it for the first time. So I want you guys to keep that in mind too. When you're working with a trainer, you're going to make mistakes and it's the trainer's job to give you those points of criticism They're not doing it maliciously. It's just their job to make sure that you're progressing properly. And so if you take those things in stride, you're really going to get great results. And don't harp too much on making mistakes or making errors. It's just all part of the learning process. A lot of times if a client of mine is having trouble, I'll actually ask them to record their training session. And I know this can be an additional level of nerve-wracking because then you know that the expert is going to analyze what you're doing because it's in video format. But again, that's my job. That's how I can show you exactly what adjustments need to be made to really set your training on the right path. It's sometimes hard to self-correct without being able to see what it is that you're actually doing. A lot of times I'll notice that if I'm just verbally coaching somebody to correct Uh, movement that they're doing or something that they're doing with their dog sometimes they just can't get it quite right and it's because they need to see what they're actually doing in order to know how to change it so doing the videos help me really slow down what's happening and point out those little moments to change so if you are struggling with working on something with your dog whether you're working with a trainer or not Try to record your session and then watch it back and see if there's little things in there that you didn't realize that you were doing. And if you are working with a trainer, take criticism in stride because it's really only going to help you get better for your dog. And our last and final trait, trait number five, is that these clients train their dog. And I emphasize the word there. This comes into play a few ways. So, firstly, They understand the breed that they have and what that dog's needs are. They may not know the best way to meet their dog's specific needs, which is why I'm there in the first place to recommend appropriate outlets or exercise, but they recognize that the breed of dog that they have must run or must sniff or must bite things or must hurt something or must be mentally challenged in this capacity because they are genetically pre-programmed to seek those outlets. And I just did an entire episode on providing the appropriate breed-specific fulfillment and exercise or mental stimulation. That was the last episode, episode three, so you can go back and listen to that if you want more information about breed-specific fulfillment. But a lot of times we get caught up in trying to have the idyllic or the perfect dog regardless of breed. There's this general overarching idea of what life with a dog should be like. It should cuddle with you and be your best companion and get into trouble, but only in lightly goofy ways. And not all dogs are going to live like that. Not all dogs are going to thrive with having that much freedom in a household. Some dogs need structure in order to quell anxiety or stress so that they are good boys and girls when they're living with us. So there's this picture out there that tells us this is what it should be like to own a dog. But unfortunately, that 
picture is fake <laughs> and it's not the ideal and it's not the most common experience people have owning dogs. It's actually rarity that owning a dog is like that. There's a whole medley of different versions of what that ideal lifestyle looks like for individual dog owners. Everybody has a a altered or a varied version of what that looks like. So these owners that are my top performing clients, they understand that and they know to train their specific dog. They don't get caught up in what their neighbor is doing or what other people's dogs do. They just strive to do the best that they can for their particular dog. And they don't try to set expectations for themselves or their dog that are unrealistic for them, unrealistic for their way of life, their lifestyle, their household, their family, or their dog. They focus on their dog only and going at their dog's pace. And that's so important to keep in mind. Every dog is going to learn and progress at their own pace because they're all uniquely different. Comparing your dog to what your neighbors or your cousins or your friend's dog can do is helpful for you to identify areas where maybe your dog could improve or be better at. But getting caught up in trying to make your dog exactly like those other dogs is where we really do an injustice to the dog that we have. Whatever is best for your dog is best for your dog. You don't have to worry about what other people are doing with their dogs. Just focus on training your dog and that's really the key to success here. That's what makes my top performing clients so successful is they just focus on their dog and what their dog needs and they just block everything else out which helps them move forward. And that's it. That's all five traits. I'm giving you the top five traits. We'll review them one more time. Number one, committed to the work. Number two, they're in it for their dog. Number three, they yearn to learn. Number four, they accept criticism well. And number five, they train their specific dog. These are all the attributes that I see in my top performing clients. And I would challenge you to cultivate these traits yourself to increase your odds of success in training your dog. Be honest with yourself and figure out which out of these five am I really good at? Do I have that? I definitely have that trait. I have that quality. And which out of these five could I improve on? Where could I be better? Some of you out there might just be five for five. You're like, I'm just golden. I got all these traits. I'm perfect. So if that's you, um, you can schedule a consultation. <laughs> uh, but seriously, if you adapt to building up these traits, you have a really good chance and really good odds of training your dog to a high level. This again was a little bit of a shorter episode this time. Maybe the next one I put out will be longer. You know, I really don't have a time limit or a time minimum on these. I just talk until I know I've said everything that I want to say. A fun announcement to actually talk about is that next month I'm going to be attending a weekend workshop or conference 
with Ivan from Training Without Conflict. He's hosting his Make Your Dog Somebody tour in up here in New England uh, over in Massachusetts. So I'm going to be heading out there for that in the beginning of May. Maybe, depending on how that conference goes, I'll do a podcast episode where I recap some of my takeaways from what I learned while attending. I'm really excited because like I had mentioned way back in episode one, my goal this year is to attend more workshops and conferences to not only just network with other trainers, but just expand my understanding of training, develop my skill set a little bit more, and hear some new ways of training dogs, specifically behavioral cases. So I'm excited. I'm going to be attending that in the second weekend of May. So I'll be posting hopefully some stuff while I'm there of what's been going on. And if I've got some really fun takeaways, I'll do a podcast episode on what it is that I learned from attending. Something else that's been new for Canine Coach is that I started offering group classes for my clients. So clients, if you're listening to this, you have access to once a month group classes with me. And it's also going to be co-hosted with other trainers from our area where you can bring your dog that we've worked with together and keep up the training so you can continue your training in a group atmosphere and make sure that you're still keeping those skills fresh or pushing those skills further if you like in a group setting where we'll have other dogs as distractors and other people as distractors so it should be a good time we just had our first group class yesterday which went great they're called canine tune-up classes the next one will be held in may i don't have a date exactly yet so you'll have to check my website for when a date is set but again those are once a month and they're open to just clients only right now i do keep it just clients because i need to ensure the safety and also the skill level of the people attending so Become a client if you want to attend canine tune-up group classes. That's it for this episode. If you liked it, found some value in it, share it with a fellow dog owner and then subscribe them to the show so that they get notifications of future episodes. Just take their phone, open their podcast app, and then make sure that they're subscribed to the My Canine Coach podcast. And then while you're on their phone, make sure you also go into their Facebook app and add them to the My Canine Coach podcast private Facebook group so that they can join our awesome community there and tell us if they're also five for five with these traits. If you would like to get in touch with me about training or to give feedback, the best way to do that is by visiting my website, myk9coach.com and requesting a consultation or sending me an email at caninecoachdana at gmail.com, both of which are listed in the show notes, both of which are the letter K number nine, not the word canine. Please, please like and write a review of this episode to help me and help the show grow. Other than that, I will see you next time. Loki and I are going to go out and do some cool dog stuff.